Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. All right, now, on your way to John's Gospel, chapter 19, I invite you to stop at Mark 15 and put your bulletin there, Mark 15. So, Mark 15, you're going to put a little marker there, art, 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 in Mark, and then uh, John 19. We're going to be wrapping up John chapter 19 as we will be looking at some familiar characters, however. So, let's go to John 19 first, and I'm actually going to back the boat up. I'm going to describe the previous verse before verse 38, I'm going to go to 37. I'm going to describe that in a moment before I go to the message. So, are you ready? Then let's look to the Lord. Father, as we come before you, we love you and we bless you and we do invite you to move in us and on us and through us. And Father, your Spirit is what makes us alive. Your Spirit is what gives us grace. Your Spirit is what anoints us. Your Spirit is who it is that makes us able to worship your Son. So by your Spirit, move in our midst. We bless you and we worship you. Anoint your message. Anoint the preaching of it. Anoint the the giver of it. Anoint the listener of it. And Father, may your word speak to our hearts and make us what you want us to be, not what we think we should be. We love you. We bless you and thank you. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Now, like I said, I, I couldn't move on to verses 38 and following. You know, we're going to see Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. But before I read that text, I wanted to point out something that's very interesting in verse 37. I, I just couldn't get past it. And, and actually, if you were um, looking at verse 36, John was writing and he speaks about Jesus and not one bone was going to be broken. And, and that was to fulfill Scripture. Because the Passover lamb was also told that not a bone of the Passover lamb would be broken, as well as Psalm 37, verse 20. But what's interesting, by the way, the rabbis never understood why they could not break any of those bones as they would uh, process the Passover lamb. However, uh, John identifies this as a fulfillment of Scripture. But when you get to verse 37, it's a little different. It's kind of interesting. It'll say there in little little print, because they didn't know it was coming. is And another scripture says, now it, here he does not say it was fulfilled yet, but it says, uh, they will look upon the one whom they have pierced. All right, now, do you remember when I started John chapter 1, verse 1? You're like, no. What was that? 1932, Amen. Do you remember how John 1.1 starts? In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And when we looked at John 1.1, I also took you to Genesis 1.1, which says, in the beginning. Do you remember that? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We remember that. And at that time, I brought up a Revelation 20, or 21, verse 6. If we could pull that up. The Corey should have that there. All right. Do you remember this text? 
Jesus speaking says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Anyone remember that? The beginning and the end? And by the way, what's interesting is say, It is done is the same idea behind what we just read on the cross. It is finished. And when he says, It is finished, it is done, uh, the scripture says in Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first letter of the Greek alphabet. I'm the last letter. Which is kind of interesting because you realize that's not a translation. That, that's, that's a, that's a, that's the word in the Greek is Alpha. The word in the Greek is Omega. If it was a translation, it would read, I am the A and I am the Z in the English. However, if you were to read that, is that, I don't know if these lights are kind of bright for this right now. If you were to read that in the Hebrew, it would look like this. Now, here we have the Alpha and the Omega. Remember, Hebrew, you read from right to left. Okay? And matter of fact, everything east of Jerusalem reads from right to left, all languages. All west leads from left to right. So all languages point to Jerusalem. Okay? So when you read the Hebrew, you'll see the Aleph and the Tav. Okay? If you were to read Psalm 119, 119 is broken up in 22 uh, portions one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and there's eight verses in each section. Like A is for apple, and it'll go right down through with A, and right down through with Beth, and right down through with all the, the letters of Greek alpha, or Hebrew alphabet. Am I talking too fast? Okay. So if you were to read the, this Alpha, or Aleph, excuse me, Aleph is equivalent to Alpha, and Tav is equivalent to Omega. So the first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet are Alpha, or excuse me, Aleph and Tab. So, Revelation 21.6, Jesus says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the A, I am the Z, I am the beginning and the end. I am the Aleph and I am the Tav. I am the Aleph and the Tav. Now, remember, 70 sermons ago, Genesis 1.1. We went to Genesis 1.1, and you would read, down here is Genesis 1.1, reading from right to left, you'll come across a few words, or one, two letters that are not translated. And when you see a translation, it'll, it actually reads, in the beginning created God, God bless you, the heavens and the earth. And yet they never translate that word. Let's zoom in on the next slide. We'll show you. That is what is untranslated in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, Aleph Tav, created the heavens and the earth. Jesus, in the beginning, says, I am the Alpha, the Omega. I am the Aleph and the Tav. I am the beginning, Genesis, and I am the end, Revelation. You follow me here? You with me? So, he, he said, that's me. In the beginning, God, Aleph, Tav, first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet, created the heavens and the earth. Next slide. John 19.37, they, look they looked upon him whom they have pierced. That's what we just read. This is quoted out of Ezekiel 12.10. Let's pull Ezekiel 12.10 up. Here it is written again. You'd be reading the Scripture cross, and you come to two letters that, again, are not translated. By the way, I only put in a portion of the Hebrew text just to what we're zooming in on. But all the words in this text here, all of these are translated except these two letters right here that are right smack in the middle of it. And you say, what in the world is that? And it reads this way. And they shall look upon me, Aleph Tav, 
whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and shall be in bitterness. Is that cool or what? Gives me Holy Ghost bumps. And you probably think, well, oh yeah, well, that's, that's just something. No, there's a reason why here in our text, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. They shall look upon the Aleph and the Tav whom they have pierced. They shall look upon the Alpha, the Omega. They shall look upon the beginning and the end. They shall look upon the God who in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, Aleph Tav, created the heavens and the earth. And they shall look upon the Aleph Tav whom they have pierced. And it's no wonder when this Scripture that we read about Ezekiel is one relating, relating to His second coming and no wonder when they look upon him, the Aleph and Tav, they will see the one whom they pierced, and they will be in great bitterness as one who uh, is, weeps for his only son. And so when I looked at this text, I just said, man, I, I can't just go past that. Maybe you could, but I was like, no. I think, I don't, how many think that's cool stuff? Yeah. Man, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. So, he, you know, you say, well, he doesn't claim to be God. Oh, yes, he does. <laughs> He says, you know those two letters you can't translate? That's me. That's what Jesus is saying. In Revelation, he says, that's me. I'm the Aleph and I'm the Tav. I'm the first and the last letters of your alphabet in Genesis 1.1 and, in, and then again in Zechariah 12.10 and then here again in our text. So, what a, what a wonderful, wonderful reality that's so, I mean, there's so many nuggets in the Word of God you could spend forever just here in this chapter, but but we're going to move on to our next verses. So if we could bring the lights back up a little bit. Follow with me as we start in verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of fear of the Jews. In other words, the Jewish leaders. Obviously, he was also a Jew. Uh, With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied, by the way, that means not just later, but this whole time. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. I love his name, means victorious among his people. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. You remember that back in John chapter 3, Nick at night, you remember? Way back there, you see Nicodemus. And he asks, how can a man be born again? And then you'll see him speak up later on Jesus' behalf, and now we see him for the third time. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Other translations may say 100 pounds, but it was a lot. Uh, Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices uh, in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb. For he shall, remember Isaiah says, he'll be associated with the wicked and the rich in his death. There was a new tomb which no one had ever been laid. And by the way, the sin of atonement was a red heifer that was offered. It was the only sacrifice that was not offered in the temple. It was offered across the valley outside the city limits. And the red heifer was for the sin of atonement, and in other words, the washing away of sin. The remains of the red heifer, the ashes of that red heifer, were to be stored in a separate tomb that no other 
uh, ashes were ever stored. So it had to have its private tomb. And so here we see Jesus, and it specifically says a new tomb, because he is also, the red heifer is a picture of his sacrifice. And because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Flip over to Mark. Mark 15 picks up the account. It was preparation day, verse 42, Mark 15, verse 42. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. They actually had a couple Sabbaths at that time. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea. Now notice, Mark tells us a little more about Joseph. A prominent member of the council, or Sanhedrin. So he too was a Pharisee. He was part of the Sanhedrin the council, who himself waited for the kingdom of God. He went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And others may translate that craved Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, uh, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought, excuse me, bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of stone. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of, now our Spanish friends always say Jose, but that's how you would pronounce it, uh, Josie, uh, saw where he was laid. Interesting portion of Scripture. When I come to this text, I simply, I'm like, boy, what do I, what's the title here? See, you know, Bonnie, she goes, we need to put your title in the bulletin. I said, why? We never did that before. Remember? Why change, right? No, no, we need to put the title in. Okay. So she'll say, what's the title of your message? So I'm like, oh, what is the title of the message? And so, you know, the more I thought this through, I said, you know what? The title is very simple. When faith moves, when faith moves, when it starts taking action, you start to see it, and it's in motion, and it's visible. That's what James says, you know, you can say you have faith, but I'm going to show you my faith by my works. When it when it's moving, when it's visible, and you'll be able to see it. You see, one of the challenges with this text is we we see the crucifixion of Christ, and we know what's coming up next in the next chapter, what's coming up. The resurrection. We know that's coming. So here's the crucifixion. Now we got to move on to the resurrection. So we just slide past these uh, two men that are taken down the body of Christ. But I, I had to stop and say, wait a minute. Lest we just fly over it again. We had to stop and say, what, what's going on? And what strikes me is not so much who we see, but who we don't see. When it comes to our text, Typically, the Romans would leave someone on a cross, and once they're executed, they would stay on that cross until the birds would pick their bones clean. So it's unusual to take them down early, but at the bequest of the Jewish leaders to take it down, Pilate said, fine, take the bodies down now uh, since they're going into a Passover. So when it came time to take those bodies down, typically the next of kin would claim the body. 
Because remember, those on the cross are criminals being executed according to Roman law. And so anyone to take down the, the, to claim the body of the criminal that was executed puts you in association with that criminal. You follow me? So the next of kin always claimed the body because it was not suspicious for the family to associate with the body of the one who was executed. But when I look at this, I said, so where's the family? Jesus had brothers and sisters, by the way, half-brothers and sisters. Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit and Mary, but Joseph and Mary had other children, according to Scripture. James being one of them. James will write the book of James, a half-brother of Jesus. But where's James? Where's the family? None of them show up to claim the body of Jesus. And not only does the family not show up, my other question is, where are the other guys? You know, there are like 11 of them? Right? Where are the disciples? All the disciples who were just with Jesus that evening are all in hiding. They're, they're afraid of what's going to happen. They're afraid to associate with Jesus. They just saw what happened. So they all go into hiding. So what's extraordinary to me about this text, what is amazing to me, is that the pinnacle of danger at the peak of concerns over religious purity just before the Passover, at the least likely of all times, at the most dangerous time to come out of hiding, while everyone's going into hiding, two men, Joseph and Nicodemus, show themselves. And they show themselves as believers and disciples of Jesus Christ. And I said, man, you talk about some amazing courage. You talk about, about two guys that said, wait a minute, everyone else is running this way and they're running that way. Everyone else is scattering and hiding and they're coming out as believers in Jesus Christ. So when I look at this text, I said, what does it look like? What does faith look like when it's on the move? Not when it's on the run, not when it's hiding in the closet. What does faith look like when it steps up and swims upstream? What does it look like when everyone's running this way and faith runs that way? When I look at these guys, they show us. When faith moves, friends, it comes out of hiding. When your faith ignites, it comes out of hiding. You see, they had faith. They were believers. Matter of fact, the scripture, John tells us they were disciples of Jesus Christ, but they did it what? Starts with that, sounds like secretly. Secretly, that's right. They were disciples of Jesus Christ, but secretly for fear of the Jews. <laughs> but they are Jews. Of Jewish leaders, they are Jewish leaders. The Sanhedrin, they are the Sanhedrin. They're the Pharisees, they are the Pharisees. You, you follow me here? They were in the camp that said, crucify him. They stood amongst peers, but they were believers. But they were believers in hiding. They were in the secret service, if you will. And they say, man, we don't want anyone to know, lest a lot of bad things happen to us. 
Matter of fact, Nicodemus will speak up at a, at a council meeting one time and they'll say, what? Are you also from Galilee? You remember that? And they'll, they'll all point to him. And it, his faith shrank back. It was quiet. Joseph was a disciple of Jesus Christ. <laughs> he was a believer. He sat on the board of the Sanhedrin. And yet he shrank back and was quiet because of the fear of those around him. You see, when faith is on the move, friends, it comes out of hiding. So many of us, at one point or another in our Christian life, when we get saved, some now some will get saved, and I mean, they're just fireballs for Jesus. You know what I mean? They're, they're like rushing the gates of hell with a water pistol. Come on, man, let's go! And they're wondering what's the matter with the rest of us. You ever seen those? They're, <coughs> I mean, they're, they're just on the move right out of the box. And then there's others when we get saved, we have faith, but we're really quiet about this. And we're, we're, we're a little nervous about coming out and letting others know that we're believers in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, it was interesting. One time I was on visitation. Visitation is an old, old custom. When people came to the church, they would, people at the church would go visit them. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Many times people got saved during that practice. One time on visitation, I go out and I meet with this couple. And I was sitting here in the living room. The husband was to my left. The wife was to my right. In the other corner uh, was their daughter who was, uh, I think, late 20s. Her husband did not want to be around the preacher, so he stayed in the kitchen. It's always a good place to stay, right? At least you can eat in there. So he's in the other room. He didn't want to hear what we had to talk about. That's okay. I go over the gospel, and I lay out the plan of salvation to this family. And after I lay out the plan of salvation, the daughter begins to weep. The tears start coming down her eyes. She goes, you know what? I need to get saved. I need this. Now, this is a very religious family, by the way. They've been going to church for many, many, many years. But she says, I need to get saved. And, and then all of a sudden, I hear over here, the father starts saying, I need to also. And the tears are running down his face. I'm like, well, then I turn and I see the mom starts tearing up. And I, and I say, Linda, do you, would you like to ask Christ to be your Savior? And she says, I'm not crying because of that. I'm crying because I was saved as a teenager. And I never told my family. And they were all shocked. They turned and looked and was like, what? You knew all this time? There was another couple led the wife to the Lord as she had gotten saved and told her husband, guess what? I got saved. And the husband says, yeah, I did too about three years ago. And she, she was mad. Righteous indignation. She goes, what? And you weren't going to let us go to hell? I mean, that's what she said. Oh, I got to go. Next visit. You know, I mean, she was hot. <laughs> but you, you see, the fact is, Genuine faith cannot stay dormant. It may be dormant, but it can't stay dormant. It may be in hiding, but it can't stay in hiding. When it reaches a point where faith says, you know what? Joseph and Nicodemus said, we've had enough. And though no one else would go retrieve the body of the living God who sacrificed himself for us, these two men, their faith says, we're not sitting by. We're stepping out. 
we're stepping out. As a matter of fact, it's interesting concerning Joseph. said, Joseph was one who waited for the kingdom of God. Our word waited. Prosdecomai. Prosdecomai means to look with anticipation. To be ready to act. It is not a hang out and do nothing and see what happens faith. It was looking with anticipation. He, in other words, he was right there. It, it, it's like a, a horse getting ready to run the Kentucky Derby and, you know, and they're in the gates and they're just waiting for, do they sound a gun? Wave a flag. Let the rabbit go. I don't know what they do. Whatever they do before that race, the horse, they ring a bell. They ring a bell. Okay. I knew it was something. They had to do something. But that horse is there with anticipation. You know, I mean, they're there. They're, 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 they've done this before. And man, as soon as that gate opens, boom, they're out the door. That is the idea behind this word, prosdecomai. He says, Joseph, prosdecomai, the kingdom of God. He waited with anticipation. He was anxious to go, and Joseph had enough. And he said, enough is enough. I am stepping out. I don't care if I'm the next one crucified. I am going to retrieve the body of Jesus. Man, now that's faith on the move. Joseph, everyone else is hiding. I don't care. His own family won't get him. I don't care. And he says, come on, Nick. I know you're a believer too. What? (laughs) But actually, I think when Joseph stepped up, Nicodemus stepped up. That's why it says he accompanied, to be with the whole time. You see, what we see going on here is faith springing to action. What's it going to take for your faith and my faith to spring to action? What's it going to take for God to, to just open those gates and ring that bell and let the rabbit go and shoot the gun? Whatever it's going to take. You know? What's it going to take? Is, hopefully it doesn't take a crisis. Amen? Faith. When faith moves, it comes out of hiding. It's visible. You see it. Some of you may have loved ones who've made a profession of faith in Christ and they've asked Christ to be their Savior, but you look and say, man, they just don't look like believers. They they, let me tell you something. If they are genuine believers, their faith cannot stay dormant. It will come out. <laughs> it may take a little while. It may take a crisis, but it'll come out. Joseph and Nicodemus stepped out in faith. And by the way, I believe that when I was doing this sermon, God was laying on my heart that there's someone here today or listening over the internet. I'm not sure where they're at. God knows where they're at. But God's challenging you to step out in faith about something and, and you're holding back. You're, you, you know, you'd like to, you, you'd want to, but you're just holding back on that. Listen, faith comes out of hiding. When faith is on the move, it takes that step. And, and that's like the invitation I tell people. In an invitation, your feet feel like they're in concrete. But your heart feels like it's being drawn. You ever, you ever been like that? So what you do is you grab the pew in front of you or the chair. You go, and you white knuckle it. Man. But I tell you, if you take, I know by experience, you take that one step of faith. Faith goes on to move. When you take that one step of faith, God will give you, he'll just take all those with you. He says, will you step out? And once you do, boom. And it's like, wow, freedom comes. Faith on the move comes out of hiding. Faith on the move breaks away from the pack. Scripture says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And interesting, and touch not the unclean thing. When faith moves, it has to make a decision. 
will I break away from the pack? The Sanhedrin's the pack here. The Pharisees are the pack here. He was part of the pack. He was associated with the pack. But when faith moves, he says, I, I've got to step out in faith. I've got to do this. And when faith moves, friends, it breaks away from the pack of unbelievers. Listen, if you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, you can't hang out in a pack of unbelievers forever. They won't let you. <laughs> they say, what are you doing here? you got to go. And by the way, when I got saved, everyone said, uh, oh, did all your friends leave you? Or did, did you have to leave your friends? I said, no, they all left me. <laughs> as soon as I got saved, I started telling them, are you still doing this Jesus stuff? You know, Yes, I am. By the way, when they here's what happens. You may find them spreading out. At least the, I hung out with pagans and heathens. I mean, I, so you kind of expect that, you know. They spread out. But let me tell you something. Years later, they come back because they know you had something they didn't have and they want to know about it. And I get a call Friend, you got one call to make soon to get out of prison. And he says, are you still doing that Jesus stuff? Well, yes. Yes, I am. Can I come with, stay with you? Oh, yeah. I said, do you know who you're staying with? <laughs> Better think about this. And say, he knew, and he came. But faith, friends, breaks away from the pack. It lets nothing stop them. You see what, what Joseph and Nicodemus are doing. They're breaking away from the pack of unbelievers. Faith will break away from the pack of gainsayers. Faith breaks away from the pack of those that tell you why you can't do this. You understand? Huh? And Christians may tell you why you can't do that. But if God tells you to do something, you act in faith and say, Lord, I'm going to believe you and I'm going to step out and break away from the pack of unbelievers and the pack of gainsayers and the pack of naysayers that says, no, you can't do it. You see, if anyone were to counsel Joseph and Nicodemus, they'd say, you guys crazy? You don't do that. You are prominent men. You are powerful men. You are men with reputations. You are men with images to uphold. If you go and take down that brutalized, bloody body of Jesus Christ, and you take Him down, you have just identified yourself with Him. And anyone identifying himself with a criminal that was executed can be also executed for the same crime. You follow? Next to kin, it's one thing. Non-kin, they say, are you in on it also? Someone is not related. These two men broke away from the pack. And you know what they said? Even though, as Mark tells us, they were prominent, they were powerful, they had a reputation, they were wealthy, by the way, and they had images to uphold. You know what? Faith says, I don't care what people think about me. I care what God thinks about me. And if you think this was an easy decision, friends, it wasn't. Because not only did they break away from the pack of unbelief, they broke away from the pack of religious mores. They're religious and listen, we're going into Passover. This is a time of preparation. This is a time where you go through your house with a candle and make sure there's no leaven in your house. You are meticulous to make sure everything's clean. You are meticulous not to defile yourself in any way. They would whitewash graves so while the pilgrims came, they didn't accidentally step on a place where someone was buried. But for them to step up, as Pharisees, as Sanhedrin, 
as prominent men and take the body of Jesus down off that cross at the time of Passover. They were violating all religious mores, if you will. Because to touch a dead body would defile a person and disqualify that person from participating in Passover. But friends, I want to tell you something. When faith touches Jesus, it does not defile you. It delivers you. They did not get defiled by touching Jesus' body. They got delivered. You see, their faith all this time had been in bondage. Their faith, they were, they were free in Christ, but they were in bondage to fear. They were in bondage to all these, the peer pressure and the fear pressure, the fear factor. They were in bondage. But when they said, that's it. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people say. I don't care if they kick me off the council. I don't care if they, they won't let me participate in the Passover. I am going to identify with Jesus Christ and I am going to step out. And the minute they did, their faith was not defiled. It was delivered. And you and I need deliverance from our faith. We can't let fear put us back in bondage. What in the world are we doing sitting in the dungeon when the door is wide open? Amen? We sit there next to the shackles that are woe is me. I'm the victim and not the victor. Ooh, we don't want to live that way. And the door is wide open. And we say, what are you doing in the dark? What are you doing near the shackles? You're set free, man. You're free indeed. And he has opened the door and you are free to go. When they stepped out in faith, They weren't defiled. For once, they were delivered. They had deliverance from the fear of everyone else when they said, I don't care what everyone else thinks. I care what God thinks. And they stepped out. When faith moves, friends, it realizes that no matter what, Jesus is more important than everything else and everyone else and every position we hold and all the power we have, and any prestige that people look at us with, he said, Jesus is more important than all of that. And it steps out. When faith is on the move, it breaks away from the pack. And when faith is on the move, it stands fearlessly in the face of danger. When he asks for the body of Jesus, that word ask is a very strong word. It is, matter of fact, some will translate it to crave, it is a respectful word, but it means to give a strong demand. With all due respect, Pilate, I want the body of Jesus. He stood before Pilate with Nicodemus, and they went in, and just to have access to Pilate was huge. He goes into the presence of Pilate, and not mealy mouth, I mean with all boldness and courage and, and, and respect. He demands the body of Jesus. So much so, Pilate was surprised he was even dead. He's like, wow, already? Until a centurion verified the story. You see, friends, faith, when faith moves, faith is fearless, man. It's fearless. I want to read you an article. This is a recent article. Matter of fact, we shouldn't be able to, were you able to find that picture for me, Seth? All right, that's going to come up. This was uh, from NBC News, dated May 15th was the article. 
which, by the way, was just, it's about this gentleman right here. And you won't read it from there. I'll read it from here. NBC News, a story of a Nigerian Christian man who was shot by the, the Boko Haram terrorists for refusing to renounce his Christian faith. This man's name was Habila Aduma, or like Adam with a U. And he was attacked by the same group of terrorists that took the 200 Nigerian uh, schoolgirls captive, this uh, Boko Haram. NBC News reports, a father who was shot point blank in the face by uh, Boko Haram recounts how the militants asked whether he was, quote, prepared to die as a Christian. This was last week's article about an event that happened a couple years ago. Habela Adam, 40, was so badly wounded in the attack, God bless you, that he was said he said goodbye to his wife as the blood poured out of a gaping wound. The father of one said the April 15th capture of Boko Haram of more than 200 girls from a boarding school brought back painful memories of the night that he was shot and beaten in his house. When I heard about the girls, I started to pray, Adam told NBC News. Boko Haram have no mercy. All they want to do is drive the Christian community out of northern Nigeria, and they won't stop until they do it. Many of the minority Christians in Jabe province were fearful of Boko Haram because the, militant, the militants had attacked homes and businesses in the regions, according to Adama. Adamo. They asked whether I was prepared to die as a Christian. My wife was crying, but I could not deny Christ. The businessman initially thought that it was they were soldiers on patrol uh, near his home one night, November 2012. But when I saw their robes and AK-47 rifles, I knew uh, they were not from the army, he said. They told me that they uh, were doing the work of Allah. When his wife Vivian and son David, now age seven, looking on, four men forced away uh, indoors and asked uh, whether he was a member of the police force or army. He told them he was not. Then they asked me whether I would convert to Islam. And when I refused, they asked whether I was prepared to die as a Christian. My wife was crying, but I could not deny Christ. I felt powerful. I felt unafraid. I don't know why. But he could refuse, but before he could refuse a second time, a bullet pierced his neck. I fell to the ground, Adum said. They thought that I was dead because they stomped on me twice and shouted, Allah Akbar, or God is great. Aduma mustered the strength to talk to his wife before slipping out of consciousness. She was crying so many, he quotes, she was crying so many tears, he said. Neither of us thought that I would survive, so I told her that to live in this world was to live for Christ. I told her, look after our son and herself. Recovering her composure, Vivian ran uh, to find help from fellow members of the Christian community, only to find that militants had killed 12 others. Too scared to leave the house, she tended to her husband for eight hours. At first light, she was able to arrange transport to a nearby medical center. When they saw the wound, a doctor told my wife there was no point in treating me, Adum said. I had lost so much blood. However, they gave him painkillers and transferred him uh, to the uh, Jos University Hospital, hundreds of miles further south, where doctors, uh, funded by a nonprofit organization, Voice of the Martyrs, uh, were able to treat him. 
Aduma's condition gradually stabilized and was discharged about two weeks later. I thank God that he spared Adum's life. I thank him even more that he gave Adum the courage to stand, the article went on. This was NBC News a week ago. <laughs> and, you know, we read about these things. We see a text like this. And we say, well, that, that was back then. No, this was last week. <laughs> it's not in our country, he say. Yeah, well, not yet in our country, right? Say, it would never happen here. <laughs> you, you have no idea what could happen here. Let me tell you. The devil is a killer and always has been. All right? When we see faith on the move, Joseph, Nicodemus, they stood before the most powerful man in the region. And they said, we want to identify with the criminal he just crucified. We want his body. They could have been the next one, yet they stood there boldly, the Scripture says. They stood there fearlessly. They stood there boldly. They demanded the body of Jesus Christ. And I think of that, and I think of uh, of this gentleman, Adum. Adum to stand there. And he says, I don't know what happened, but I, I, I had a great boldness, and I was fearless, and I spoke up. I'll tell you what happened. The Holy Spirit comes upon us when we step out in faith. The Holy Spirit empowers us and gives us grace even to face the end of a gun. That's what happened to him. And that's what we, we say, man, I'm, I'm so afraid to do things for Christ. Listen, you step out in faith, the Holy Spirit will empower you to do it. He will give you grace to do it. And if it's time to die for the cause of Christ, He will give us grace to do it then as well. Amen? And I'll tell you what, I, I want to be one, if it ever got to that point, to be able to stand. It was a miracle he survived, but he said, what a miracle that he stood. And he said, I will not convert with a rifle in his face. And down he went. But you know what? I'll tell you what. That man today can hold his head high. He, I'd feel like a spiritual dwarf compared to him. To say, you know what? Faith doesn't run. And faith doesn't hide. Faith goes the opposite direction of everyone else running away from it. So you see, friends, when we see Joseph and Nicodemus, I said, man. That's what faith looks like when it's on the move. And by the way, as I close, I notice that faith spares no expense. In other words, it's not about what it costs. It's about what is Jesus worth. Interesting that the Scripture said that Joseph purchased fine linen to wrap the body of Jesus in. It's the word othonio, othonion. Othonion is very expensive Egyptian linen. This is not the grave clothes you would typically wrap someone in. This is not the the strips of wasted material that you don't use anymore, and it's no good, so you wrap the dead in it. Like Lazarus, those grave clothes were strips of wasted material that were good for nothing, and so they would wrap the body of the dead in. But not for Jesus. Joseph went out, and he purchased very expensive Egyptian linen. And the scripture said, then they then ripped it in strips. Because, let me tell you, that's worthless compared to Jesus Christ. And they ripped it in strips and they wrapped the body of Jesus in between 75 and 100 pounds of very, very expensive spices. You know, we think of the woman with the alabaster box. 
and that perfume and how expensive it was and what a sacrifice. But, but that was a box. These guys had 75 to 100 pounds of this stuff. And you talk about extravagant. You talk about pouring out their love. They said, listen, we are stepping out of the pack. We are stepping out of hiding. And we are here to be counted. And we'll identify with Jesus. And we don't care what it costs. He is worth it to us. And they put all their extravagant love upon Him. You know, when I look at that, I say, wow. I wonder what my finances say about my love for Jesus. But I want to be crystal clear about something, friends. It is not about what they did. It is not about how they did it. What it's about is why they did it. It's never about the act. It's always about the faith behind the act. Are you with me on this? God moved me to bless somebody the other day for something this young child did. And God said to me, Tell him this. You tell him he appreciated what you did, but what he saw was the faith behind what you did. And I had to explain it to him. I said, he's going to get that, Lord? And he's like, tell him. And friends, that's what it's about for you and I. It's not about what you do. You know, you would look at this and say, wow, if anyone can earn their way to heaven, it would be these two guys. It's not about that at all. You don't earn your way to heaven. It's not about what we do that, that makes God smile. It's about why we did it. The faith that moves us. So friends, my challenge today is where's your faith at? Where's mine at? Is it dormant? Is it in hiding? Is it afraid to, to speak up and speak out? Christianity has been muffled while Islam has been everywhere talking it. Are you following? What happened? Where's, get the muffle off of us. Amen? Faith needs to get back out. Everyone else is coming out of the closet. Christians need to come back out. Amen? Get out there and tell them about Jesus Christ. Don't get me going. But do you see what I'm talking about? That is what faith looks like. Looks like. You can see it. It's moving. It's, it, it, it takes action, identifies with those uh, that you wouldn't think they would. It, it swims upstream even from other Christians that are swimming the other way. I don't know about you, but I, I know that I believe in my heart Jesus Christ is soon, soon to return. Very soon. And I want to be found swimming upstream. I don't want to be found going with the flow. And I need help in this area. And I say, Jesus, I need your spirit to give me that power. And he said, you, you step out in faith. And he says, and they'll give you a boldness you know not of. You, just like this guy here, I read about him last week. I said, man, that's what I want. That's what I want. What do you want of your faith? What do you want? Where do you, what do you want to see your faith look like? Should Jesus come today? If he came back then, there's Adam or Joseph. And there's Nicodemus, the only two guys, taking Jesus, pouring out their love upon him, identifying themselves as believers of this man who was just executed, and burying him in a tomb. And I'll guarantee that Joseph and Nicodemus were never again accepted on the council. <laughs> they were kicked out of the club. I'm sure it was okay by that, by them, right? But I guarantee they were marked, marked individuals. But I tell you, they were free individuals. 
no longer in hiding. Father, as we come before you, I believe, I don't know who it is, I don't know what it is, but I believe as you spoke to me this week, there are those that that you are challenging them about something and, and you're asking them to step out in faith and you're asking them to take this chance and to trust you. I pray into their life right now and I ask, Lord, you will give them great courage and, and Lord, they don't have to find or stand before the front of a barrel, but Lord, you're calling them to do something and they have to step out in faith. So I pray for them and I ask for your anointing upon them and your courage within them and their boldness upon them and help them to move their faith. And each of us, Lord, help our faith not to be dormant in a time where everyone says, Christians, be silent. We must say, no, we won't. No, we won't. The souls of men and the souls of women are too precious to you, Lord, for us to be quiet. Help us to speak up. Help us to speak out. Help us to swim upstream and go against the grain, whatever it takes, Lord. Help us to step out in faith. Work in our midst, we ask, and work upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.